lift our praise this morning. God's a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our God's a loving God. Hallelujah. Our God's the one true God. Hallelujah. Our God's the maker of the world. He's all powerful. Hallelujah. He's worthy of praise. Hallelujah. He's beautiful. Hallelujah. He's a glorious God. Hallelujah. He's the King of Kings. so much we are here today because of you whether it's for some to come and hear who you are to understand what you're about and to hear how much you love and care for us or maybe we're here just because you've already saved us and encouraged us and loved us and we just want you to know that today is your day not our day it's the lord's day because this is the lord's house we're here for you this is about you today to god be the glory Great things he has done. To God be the glory. And all God's people said, let's worship.
Good morning, everybody. Hi. Real quick, I just want to pray for our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to practice sacrificial giving. Lord, we love you. We love this body that you have created. And we love that you have taught us to nurture it. Please accept these tithes and offerings in love and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The ways we give are, we have a box out there, we've got a box out there, and we go online or on your phone. Our website's newlifeastoria.com, and uh, that's about it. You can have a seat. So what we're about to do here, a little thing, we have just wrapped up uh, our first Rooted of the Year. Yeah, it was, it was really great. Um, and at the end of our Rooted, uh, we do something called a cardboard testimonial, something about a before and an after, uh, whether it's your general walk of life, uh, recently a change that has happened, or if it's from the coursework and the people work that we did in our group. Um, and before I get ahead of myself, just to let you know, Rooted is our core discipleship course experience, whatever you would call it here. It's a 10-week uh, gathering we do every week uh, for 10 weeks. Sorry. And, uh, and there's a few experiences involved, but it mostly goes over the rhythms of a Christian life, whether that be your daily devotions, your prayer, breaking strongholds, or um, sacrificial giving. It goes over many things. And uh, it's quite the experience. Um, and I have been blessed to uh, facilitate these for the last couple of years. Um, and it's also, personally, it's a way I actually get to meet everybody here because on Sundays I'm just running around like crazy. So um, please give your attention to our, what would we call it, late winter... 2023 Rudy class and see what God has done.
That's my big plug. April 25th. We're going to start our next rooted course. We already have a few people signed up. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, talk to me. Today's going to be a little hectic, but you could also sign up at newlifehistoria.com uh, and or after the baptism. Yeah, we have three baptisms today. So you talk to me. Thank you, Joey. Those baptisms are at the Yacht Club. If you don't know where that is, ask Becky out at the table, and she'll tell you where to go or follow somebody. And so you may end up somewhere else you didn't want to go, but just follow somewhere. There's water. There's water. We've got to have water for baptisms. So let's go ahead and dismiss the kids at this moment. And the teens, if there's any teens in the house, come downstairs. We would love to have you in our class. That scared me. <laughs> Thank you, Krista. Did you have a good week? Yeah. Guys, did you have a good time Monday night? Yeah. Good pizza? We're going to work on the worship part. But you did good at the repenting part. Act like men. We have Easter coming up. We're doing it at the fairgrounds, so that's my plug for Easter. We're doing a good Friday service, which is a, a worship slash teaching uh, and prayer. We'll do communion at that, that service. on uh, That'll be Friday night before Easter. That's what, the 6th, 7th? Seventh. So that's it for our announcements at this time because I don't want to lose what we're doing. So let's stand. Can we do that? And turn to somebody on your left or right and say, I'm so glad. That's it. That's all I wanted you to say. I just want to make sure I'm dealing with positive people today. Just... I'm so glad I could start singing, I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs. You don't want me to sing that? Am I the only one that knows that song? Okay, well, I'm glad that you're here. So let's pray. Father, <clears throat> for many of us, it's been a good week because you've been involved with us. To many of us, it's been a hard week, even though you've been involved with us. But today, Lord God, we're just going to learn some things from your word that I think will encourage us to seek your face in our lives. So we just pray, Father, this morning that our hearts are open to what you're trying to say. Give me whatever you need me to have to share your word with your people. I know that I'm not anything compared to your word. So let your word shine bright today. We love you. And we're just grateful we get to be together. We really are glad today. I'm excited about the baptisms, and I just pray, Lord God, that we as a church continue to encourage those getting baptized to grow in their faith. Father, I do want to just quickly thank you for Joey. Sometimes you just put people in our lives that is just they're just those amazing human beings that aren't looking for attention and aren't looking for anything, but, but they, in their service to you, are just special people. And so I, I thank you for all those that he teaches and all those that 
that he has taught and all those that he will be teaching in the future, Lord God, just continue to encourage his heart. We love you and Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, y'all may be seated. Sermons are funny things. They start out as one thing and they usually turn out something way different. I struggled all week long to find out what God was trying to get me to say to you guys today. And there was a lot of sin that he wanted me to talk to you about. I'm just saying, that's what he wanted me to talk to you about. And there was some things. So I had all these notes and it was, it was perfectly, uh, perfectly messed up. And I finally just threw it all out and asked him this question. Because I think this is a question we should ask God often. What do you want me to say? Not what do I want to say, not what do I want them to hear. What do you want me to say? You know how different your marriage would be if you just prayed that every day? Father, what do you want me to say to my wife? What does she need to hear today? Father, what do you need me to say to my husband? What do you need me to say to my children without screaming at them at the top of my lungs? Because for some reason, children can't hear. So this is what he gave me. So if you're mad at what I'm preaching today, blame him. I'm just trying to do what he said. Judges chapter 7 and verse 23. If you want to turn there, otherwise we'll put it on the wall because the wall works today. Just also let me throw this out here. The heating or the air conditioning doesn't work. So if you start sweating, it's probably the Holy Spirit moving on you. Everything's falling apart around this place. So something's trying to stop us from doing the, the, the ministry. Judges 7.23. Hey, good looking. Yeah, she's mine. And I'm just going to keep watching. Bible says a man that finds a wife finds a good thing. I got a good thing. Judges chapter 7, verse 23. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Beth Bera, and also against the Midianites, capture, whoops, I'm sorry, and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out. And they captured the waters for the, as far as Beth Bera and is also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. Those are two really cool names. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. I know you kind of read that and you go, what in the world? Can we get out of that? Let me just summarize. In our passage, in, in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, we do this every week. We're going to keep doing it until I'm done. I'm not going to be done until the middle to the end of August. I'm not August, April. They all start with A's. God's people, we could say it's the church, stopped obeying the word of God. We can use... The children of Israel as a picture of the church in the wilderness, that's what they're known as. 
So you can often reference the things that the, 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 the children of God in the, in, the, in the Old Testament do are similar to the things that we do in the modern day church. So it's a message to the church because the church had stopped obeying the word of God. So he's talking to you, church. So God sent a man of God, a message from God to preach to the people of God. And then God sent an angel of God, Jesus, who is the word of God to encourage the church of God to have faith in God. And then God sent the spirit of God to cover the people of God who had come back to God to do the work of God. That's what we've been learning for the last few months, if you've been hanging with us. And then out of that, God called a man of God to lead the people of God back to God. That's Gideon. And Gideon had some doubts that had to be dealt with, just like all of us do. Your doubts are no different than his doubts. And you're putting fleeces out and then flipping them over and going the opposite. You're, you're constantly testing God. Even though he gives you seven promises to trust him with, we still question him. Which is funny that finite man questions an infinite God. Gideon had some growing to do in his faith. And in that, God removed the afraid and the arrogant from their ranks. He did, why did he remove the, the, the afraid? Because the afraid caused other people to be fearful. Why did he remove the arrogant? Because the prideful constantly caused battles and struggles and internal fights. So the army's fighting against the army. So he got rid of those two groups of people. The fearful and the arrogant. The afraid and the arrogant. And he sent them home to gain courage, and to be humble. When God says he doesn't need you because you're too prideful, that should humble you. Because we all think that we're better than we actually are. We all think that we should be the greatest. I'm going to, no, I won't tell you what I'm preaching next week. You won't show up. But it's good. Already wrote half of it. Gideon then, if we know the story, stepped out of battle with nothing but a trumpet proclaiming freedom, a clay jar containing a light, and a long shout of praise to God and Gideon. And they proclaimed freedom from the enemy, and they let the light out, and they shouted praise to God, and they started a fight, and it caused the enemy chaos, and they all ran. If you would just have some faith in God, you might actually turn the enemy on the run instead of letting the enemy chase you. Come on now. I just got done preaching at man, and I got to preach hard. Don't make me pull back now. Amen. Which brings us to today. The 300 with Gideon pursued after the enemy. But they recognized that they needed help. And so Gideon called on the men of Ephraim and, the men, and, and others, asking them to get involved in the work of the ministry. Amen. Now we're getting personal. That's really what this passage is about. It's about the 300 needing help from the rest of the family of God. We can assume some things about Ephraim and the others. When Gideon first called for an army, they may have stayed home because they didn't want to get involved. Sometimes we come to church and we claim Jesus is our Savior, but we really don't want to get involved. Amen. Been there, done that. 
Or maybe God never called you to get in the fight in the first place. So it could have been that you've chosen to not be involved in the things of God. Or it could be that you've never been asked. It could be with, these, with, the, with Ephraim and the others, they could have been part of the first 32,000 that showed up and, who were either afraid or arrogant. So when he called for Ephraim, it could have been some who showed up to get in the fight and God says, no, I don't need you. You're afraid. Go home. Get some courage. It could have been, no, you're so arrogant. I can't use you. You're just going to cause problems. Go home and get some humility. But the movement of God motivated the man of God to call for the help from the people of God. When there's a movement of God, he calls even the, the men of Ephraim into the battle. As the enemy was being pursued, they scattered into smaller streams. While Gideon's main army of 300 were occupied with the central force of the enemy. So there was the 300, they were, they were fighting the main fight. But the enemy started to scatter a little bit, and the, and the, the main army had to keep going after the, the, the main en enemy. And there was these smaller streams. They would, they would follow these streams down, and they would get lost. And so they, the enemy would, was still able to live because they were scattering. The men of Ephraim, then the uninvolved, the afraid, and the arrogant, after seeing Gideon's initial victory, got involved and got great victories for themselves. Working together under Gideon's authority, God's people got victory over an enemy that was starving their families, destroying the opportunities, productivity, and causing God's people to worship idols, leading to God's penalty for the sin of idolatry. Let me make this perfectly clear to those who are assembled today. We are at war with Satan. You say, I don't believe in Satan. Well, he's already got victory over you. He's blinded your mind and blinded your eyes to the truth that he is after you and he's already got you. What's funny is we're not supposed to wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But it seems funny about modern day Christianity how we're always fighting each other. We're always complaining about this Christian or that Christian or this church or that church instead of realizing they're not the problem. Satan's the problem. So we keep chasing after things that God says, don't worry about that. Worry about being in the fight. We got an enemy that is stealing, killing, and destroying people. Breaking up homes, destroying lives, causing suicides at an alarming rate. That's the enemy. He's trying to steal your marriage, kill your marriage, destroy your marriage. Because if he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your children. If he can destroy your children, he can impact the future of this country. You know that if you've been raised in a bad in a tough family where, where, where that, those kind of things went on, where divorce was a part, you know how it tore you up. Oh man, I'm not sure. We've got him on the run, and people don't see that. 
We got the devil on the run. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to be, he's, he's already lost. And he knows it. That's why he keeps affecting our screens. I'm telling you, it's the demon in the details. Christine cast out the demons this week. So we're calling out to Ephraim. I'm calling out to Ephraim. The uninvolved, the unafraid, and the humbled to come help us in the fight. Do you know what the name Ephraim means? It means to be fruitful. And it was taken from Jacob and his, or I'm not Jacob, but Joseph, because it was referring to Joseph's ability to produce children in the midst of, of affliction, a difficulty. Joseph had children in the midst of some of the most difficult, raised children in the most difficult times of Israel's history. Ephraim are those people that have struggled in their lives, who have had difficulty, have battled and, 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 and failed and fell. And God's calling out to you. He's not calling out to the 300 who, for some reason, you all think got it all together. Because we know pastors have it all together. Just watch the news. That'll scare you. Or just look at me. See, what this is, is the practice of God re-engaging a failed, the, the failed to fight the enemy throughout the scriptures. Let me say that one more time so it makes sense. I got to read it because I didn't write it out right. God is trying to re-engage those who feel like they've failed to get back in the fight, to fight the devil. How does he do that? How does he re-engage us? How does he re-engage you? Some of you who are now uninvolved, who are afraid, and who, in all honesty, are prideful. How does he re-engage you? A couple of ways. He re-engages the uninvolved this way. I studied several different people who are uninvolved, and the one that really stuck out to me was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't come to Christ the first time he heard Stephen preach the gospel. The first time he heard that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, he didn't believe it. In fact, Paul was so prideful because of his religion. And instead of hearing the gospel, he led the Jewish people to stone Stephen to death to silence the message of salvation. He was uninvolved because he was too prideful to be involved. Let me make this statement. The uninvolved silenced the message of the gospel. You should be sharing the message of the gospel if you know it, but sometimes you're so uninvolved that you don't share it with people who don't know it. But one day on the road to Emmaus, Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he was blinded by the light of his holiness and he was knocked to the ground. And this moment with Jesus humbled Paul and he surrendered his life to the cause of Christ. Can I just say this for the uninvolved? Sometimes you got to get knocked off your high horse and get knocked to the ground before you'll get involved. 
God wants you involved. He wants you involved in the work of God. He wants you involved in the ministry. He wants you to reach people for Jesus Christ. He wants you to snatch them out of the jaws of hell by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you're uninvolved. Why do we have to get knocked to the ground before, God, before we'll surrender to the, the call of God that we know is there? Why do we have to have Jesus show up, blind us by his holiness and his brightness, knock us off onto the ground before we'll actually step in and start serving the King of kings and Lord of lords? Now, what's interesting about the Apostle Paul is we think he was this great minister, but he was actually, he didn't get the Jewish fight. He had to serve in a separate stream, a stream to the Gentiles. He still did some of the most amazing work in the kingdom of God. I mean, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the work of Paul. That's why it was, it was spread because of Paul's labor. But why do you have to get knocked to the ground to get involved? That's how he's going to re-engage you. If you won't surrender to him, he'll, he'll just keep working at it until, until you're on the ground and saying, who is this? Who did this to me? And Jesus says, it's me. Why are you fighting me? He used a term when they wanted to move oxen, they would, um, they, they would, they would pull them along and they, the oxen would kick, but they would have these little sticks that the oxen would kick against the, they called them pricks, and so they would kick against them and they would stab themselves in the leg and they would stop kicking. Why does God have to do that to you to get you to stop kicking? Why don't you, why don't you just surrender to his call into your life to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Why does he have to do that? Have you ever said that to your kids? Why do, why do you make me yell at you all the time? Why, do I have, why are you that child that I have to punish all the time? Because you won't surrender to my call. Take out the trash. It's not much more, like, like, that's easy to teach, right? Take out the trash. Why do you got to discipline them? Because they won't take out the trash. Because they want to be uninvolved. God's calling you. God's calling you. Let me give you the second one. Let me, he re-engages the afraid. Now, I could have used many names to describe the afraid. There's a woman with an issue of blood. And she went to many doctors and never got any healing, never got any help. And she came behind Jesus and she began to be tentative and said, I know if I touch him, I'll be healed, but I'm, I'm afraid because he might turn and look at me and he might give me a dirty look or he might whatever. He might make, embarrass me. I don't want that embarrassment. Or she may have believed, I don't know if any of you have had needed healing from Jesus Christ, but have thought, what if he doesn't heal me? What if I reach out to Jesus and he doesn't heal my broken heart, my battered body, my disturbed mind? So you're tentative. She reached out, touched him, was healed immediately, just to throw that in there for the freebie. There's a woman caught in adultery who got caught in sin, who was ridden with guilt, didn't know how Jesus was going to respond. She probably thought Jesus was going to tell the guys, yeah, stone her. She's caught it, committed adultery. And Jesus said, no, for, for he that has cast the first stone, let him, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. 
He defended her. But she was afraid. She was afraid because her sin was so great, so public. There's the maniac of Gadara, a crazy man, who was crazy for so long, he was afraid that Jesus would change his life and he wouldn't know how to live sane. Let me say that one more time. The maniac of Gadara was afraid of Jesus because he knew how to live insane. He didn't know how to live sane. He knew how to live unhappy. He didn't know how to live happy. He knew how to live bitter. He didn't know how to live at peace. And you say, that doesn't happen. It happens all the time. There's a young man by the name of Sean. I led him to Christ probably 20, 20, 22, three years ago. And Sean had troubles with alcohol and drugs and he got on fire for Jesus, man. He was in love with Jesus. And so one day I took him and, and I was teaching him how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were going door to door. That's when we used to go door to door before people started using guns on people who go door to door. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to go that way. <laughs> but he got, to, he got to watch me share the gospel several times and uh, I don't think anybody trusted Christ as their Savior that day, but he got to share the gospel with two different people, and it was a huge day for him. It was a huge victory for him to get over his pride and his self-centeredness and share the gospel. And that night, he calls me after I got home, and he says, that, that was the greatest day of my life, getting to share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. He was so excited. He said to me, he says, I'm going to go share the gospel with my drug dealer. And I said, okay. He went to his drug dealer, and his drug dealers, drug dealers do, twisted him up. And he started doing drugs that night. And I lost him. I, he disappeared off the face of the planet. About three, four months later, I found him. He was down at the port by the docks. And he was a mess. And in tears, he comes to me and he says, I know how to be an addict. I don't know how to be free from it. I know how to be insane. I don't know how to be sane. He made this statement. I, I couldn't handle happiness. People at church loved me for nothing that I've ever done for them. And they loved me anyway. I didn't know what to do with people loving me without me having to do something to earn that love. He said, that doesn't happen. It happens all the time. You, you know how to live in fear. You don't know how to live in faith. You know how to operate in negativity. You don't know what happens when people are positive towards you. You come to church and we're nice and you're like, oh, this is weird. I'm not coming back. They're just too nice. We're supposed to. Jesus is in it. He, he makes us nice. And if we're not, that just means the devil's in us and we got to deal with it. That's a whole other, that's a joke. But see, that's not the only afraid person I want to talk about today. I want to talk about John Mark. John Mark was a young nephew of a man by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas worked with the Apostle Paul in the ministry. And they took John, young John on a missionary journey with them and his first experience was exciting. Can I just help you with something? The first time you start to get involved in the things of God, it's really exciting. Like people are getting saved, lives are being changed. 
I mean, it just pumps you up. It's like, yeah, this is why I got saved, so I can serve Jesus this way. And it's, and it's, and it's exciting. But if you ever read the stories of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys, they were more terrifying than anything. Let me tell you what it was like to go on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, least, less one. Five times. You're with a guy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ who gets lashed five times. Now, if you're with a guy and he gets lashed once, that's like, okay, that's just tough, man. That's tough. And then he goes back and he, he gets lashed a second time and then a third time and a fourth time. Now, if you're watching this, it's like, I don't know if I want to get into that. But that's not the least of his worries. Three times I was beaten with rods. You're a young believer and you see the man of God being beaten with rods. It's like, I don't know. A little too heavy for me. What happened to all the happiness and the joy, joy? Once I was stoned. And when they stoned you, they wanted to kill you. So Paul was stoned and they left him for dead. And he gets up and he goes back in the city and starts preaching the gospel. Now to me, that's cool. But if I'm following Paul and I'm John Mark, I'm like, this is real. This is the real deal. Quick statement. The average Christian never gets into the real deal of ministry. You never get into it. Because like John Mark, you, you get out before you, because you see all the craziness that happens with Paul. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't know. Have you ever been in that place where you've done something mighty for God and everything just kind of crashed down around you? And then you thought, but I'm doing this for God. Three times I'm on this missionary journey and I sink three times. I don't know if I want to get in the boat anymore. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea. A lot of time to think. Is this, the, <laughs> is this the right thing for me? I don't think my wife would like me to be adrift in the sea for a night and a day. I better go home. On frequent journeys, there's always something going on. In danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, my own people, my own people, my own people. Some of the worst people to do life with can be Christians if you're doing the work of God. I do better with bikers than I do with believers. Amen. I'm not saying all believers are bad. I'm just saying that there's danger from them. Danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. There's a lot of danger going on here. Stranger danger. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from these things, there's a daily pressure of my anxiety for the church. This is what John Mark was exposed to. So when you start judging John Mark for being fearful, he had real reason to be fearful. 
It just got too much for John Mark and he went back home, which caused division between Barnabas and Paul. Because Paul was extremely aggressive. Obviously, if he went through all of that for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the guy's like into it. But this frustration led to a split between Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas went back to encourage his young nephew while Paul went forward in the mainstream of spiritual warfare. But Paul makes a statement later on that's very powerful. He's getting ready. He's in prison. He knows he's going to die. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Just real quick, Luke was a doctor, so he had a doctor with him. Why would you have a doctor with you in prison unless you're pretty beat up? Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me in the ministry. The one who used to be afraid, the one that backed off, the one that couldn't take it, became useful to him in the ministry. Barnabas helped his nephew overcome his fear and we find him profitable to the ministry still. It wasn't the same stream that he was heading for. He was heading for the mainstream. But he was involved in a tributary, the encouragement of the Apostle Paul. John Mark's the one, the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark. It's one of my favorite Gospels because it's simple and it's to the point and it's straight out. This is what it says. This is what happened. This is who Jesus is. Let's follow him. Serving God in the mainstream is not as easy as one would think, but what makes it tolerable is the John Marks. <clears throat> See, you might not think that you're called to do maybe what somebody else is called to do, and you're afraid of that, but you know what? God may not be calling you to that. He may be calling you to a tributary, to be an encouragement to those that are in the fight. Now, that's not what we want to hear in America because we all want to, remember, we all want to be the guy. Yeah, go through what the Apostle Paul did. You don't want to be the guy anymore. But you'll encourage the guy. Okay. God wants to re-engage the uninvolved. God wants to re-engage the afraid. God wants to re-engage the prideful. The prideful in the Bible is a long list. I really had trouble na narrowing this down. In fact, the person that I chose, I had, I had to cut stuff out because he had so much pride to deal with that it was just amazing to me. Most of the disciples struggle with pride. So you're in the similar boat to the disciples that followed Jesus. They were always arguing about who would be next to Jesus, who's the most spiritual. They argued over who is the most spiritual. They argued over who is the most spiritual. I'm much more holier than thou because I do this or that, whatever you want to claim. Always complaining about others getting opportunities that they didn't get. It's not fair. It's not fair. God, we sound like three-year-olds sometimes. It's not fair. Why is God doing this to me, not to them? Why would you want God to do negative things to other people? Just because it's happening to you, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Always wondering why they weren't chosen. And like the men in Gideon's story, God resists the proud and sends them home. Whenever I run into a proud man or a proud woman, I say to myself, they just need to go home and be humbled and realize that God can't use them in that state. 
But there's no more prideful person than the Apostle Peter. Peter's actions from my study just seems to be like he's the most prideful out of all the apostles. Sometimes his pride was seen in confidence, his confidence in that is good. But most of the time, it's just him thinking about himself. It's just arrogance. Let me give you some illustrations. Peter and the other disciples said, let's kill children's ministry because it's getting in the way of Jesus. That was free. Y'all didn't respond as well as I thought you would with that one. And Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I want the children to be ministered to. But there's Christians that are so prideful that they think that their faith is more important than their faith. Can I tell you what? Their faith is going to be what's they're, they're the ones that are going to be fighting the fight for Jesus Christ in the future. They need more encouragement, not less. Peter starts walking on water. Sometimes you feel so cool when you're walking on water. Look at what I'm doing. The other disciples, they're still in the boat. Chickens. Look at how awesome I am. And then he sees the storm and the winds and the waves, and he begins to sink. How embarrassing. Don't you hate it when, you're, when your faith is embarrassed like that? Like you're so awesome, and then all of a sudden you realize you don't have any faith at all. And he began to sink, and he had to reach out to Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, little, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He said it in front of the other disciples. Oh, you have little faith. Peter argued with the other disciples about who is going to be the greatest. Jesus says the greatest is a little child. He said, if anyone would be first, let him be the last of all to be and be servant of all. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom are the ones that serve the most, not the ones that speak the most. That's not the way our world works, does it? We want to say it's the one that speaks the most, it's the best. I believe this with all my heart. I believe pastors get a special blessing, but I believe it's the people that are are not speaking but they're doing great things for the kingdom that are going to get recognized in heaven more than us. It's just my freebie. I don't have any verse for that. Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he turns white from the holiness of God. Moses shows up and Elijah shows up. And Jesus invites Peter, James, and John. No one's talking to Peter in this story. No one's asking Peter what he thinks. No one's asking Peter his opinion. But Peter says, it's good that me and James and John are here. <laughs> Let's build some tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I want you to get this verse. He was still speaking, speaking of Peter. Peter was still speaking. Don't miss this. Peter was still speaking. He can't keep his mouth shut. Nobody asked him what he thought, but Peter was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Listen to him. Shut up, Peter. That's what he's saying. Shut up. I don't care about what you think. I didn't ask your opinion. How prideful do you got to be to put your opinion in where God says something that he wants to say and he doesn't want you to speak into it? It's this holy moment, this amazing moment. And God has to interrupt Peter and say, Shh, don't listen to Peter. I don't know about you, but I, I can imagine that moment happening with me with, where Jesus is saying, would you just shut up? Let me do my work. Let me do what I do. You just stop talking. But it's good for us to be here. <laughs> Jesus says, the reason I've come is to pay for the, atone for the sins of the human race. And Peter says, no way. I'm sure glad Jesus didn't listen to Peter. He severely rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, when Jesus says to you, get behind me, Satan. You know you're full of pride when Jesus calls you Satan because Satan is full of pride. When he looks at you and says, you remind me of Satan. You sound just like Satan. You look just like Satan. Get behind me. I don't even want to look at you. That's pride. Jesus gets ready to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no way. You're not going to serve me. And Jesus says, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. Sometimes you've got to let Jesus minister to you. You don't have it all together. You're not as good as you think you are. Sometimes you just need Jesus just to pour some love out on you, just to encourage you, to comfort you, wash the filth off your feet, wash the dirt of the sin away from your, your body, your soul. I'll skip that one. Peter denies Jesus' name with oaths and curses in a public arena. And the scripture teaches there's a point in time where Jesus turns and after Peter's done denying Jesus three times, Jesus turns and looks at Peter and they connect eyes. I don't ever want Jesus to look at me when I'm in the midst of denying him. Peter was so prideful that he thought he could get away with denying Jesus, but Jesus knows when you've denied him. Peter, at the end of John chapter 21, don't ask me why I'm going on with this. Peter's completely overwhelmed by sin and self-discovery of his own weakness, and he quits the apostolic team and goes back to the work that he feels he can do. Go back to fishing. Go back to what I know I can do. Know what I can succeed at. Because we don't like to fail in the flesh. Jesus then restores him. Jesus goes out and finds him. And he's standing on the beach and he's looking out at Peter out in the boat. And Peter says, oh, I'm in trouble. So he jumps in and swims back to shore and surrenders to God. And God says, I want you to do something great for me. I want you to lead people to Christ. So Peter then led 3,000 people to, to the Jesus Christ and to salvation in one message. I just want one message where 30 get saved. 
let alone 3,000. Sometimes Jesus has to sit on the shore and wait till you're humble enough to swim to him and surrender your life to him. There's so much more about Peter. He continued to screw up over and over again. But God humbled him. But God still used him. I want you to get that. God still used Peter. But he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The other day I was reading the scriptures and I believe the scriptures are alive. Do you? It is God's word. He's still speaking to us. And I came across Isaiah chapter 1 verse 24, which I still can't get out of Isaiah chapter 1. I'm stuck there. Please pray for me that I get out of there. <laughs> I've been in it for almost two months now. God's still speaking. And I came across this story where God declares his name this way. He says, I the Lord, meaning I'm the one true God. He says, the Lord of hosts, meaning he's the leader of heaven's army. The mighty one of Israel, meaning he's the all-powerful God. And he was saying this because of anger, because his people were, were committing sin because of a lack of justice and righteousness. And I felt a chill. Why did I feel a chill? Because this is God's battle name. You don't want God to use his battle name towards you. Because the only way to appease a wrathful God is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is not through my works or my power, my strength. But I read that and I just got this chill. I couldn't imagine having God be angry at me because of my sin. I'm going to say it again. We don't want God to use his battle name in reference to us. So I asked him three questions in prayer. Is my sin not coming to you when you've called me? I wanted to know, were you trying to call me to something that I can't see? And am I fighting you on it? Then I prayed, is my sin that I'm afraid? Am I afraid of stepping out and trusting you? Am I afraid because of my fear that it's going to overwhelm me? Am I afraid because maybe my pride will get the best of me? Am I afraid that I might have to experience what the Apostle Paul experienced? And I prayed, is my sin that I'm prideful? That's a prayer we ought to pray every day. Am I being prideful? Is my attitude about me and mine? Is my anger towards somebody really my pride? We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then I thanked him for the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it appeases the wrath of God. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, 
Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Maybe you're part of the 300. I don't know. But maybe you're the uninvolved. He's calling out to you today. In this moment, in this place, in this church, he's calling out to you today because you're uninvolved and he wants you to be involved in his work, in his way, in his life, in his liberty, freeing people from the bondage of their sin. Well, I want to be part of the mainstream. What if he just wants you to be part of a tributary? We'll talk about what that is in just a minute. I can't remember where I was going there. See, there's a movement of God and he's calling Ephraim. That's where I was. He's trying to give you a second chance to get involved. He's calling out to get involved in the things of God. Maybe you're unafraid. He's calling you to a second chance to to have some courage, to trust his word, to obey it, to see it come to pass. He'll give you the courage to get in the fight, to fight for your, through your fears. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of a sound mind. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He'll give you the humility to get in the fight, but you got to get in wherever you can. Meaning that you might not be part of the main force. You might be a, tri- a tributary. What's, what's a tributary? Might be the stream of your marriage. You know, we are a stronger church if you've got a stronger marriage. Okay, three of you like that. The other 30 of you went, I don't know, it's this guy. Maybe God's calling you to fight for the stream of your marriage. Maybe that's more important than you being involved in the main, main battle plan. Maybe right now, it's just I, just, I just gotta work on my marriage. And that's okay. But I think God's calling you to get your marriage fixed so he can call you to greater things. Stop screwing around with your marriage. Maybe God's calling you to fight for the stream of your children. If I could just get all of the parents of teenagers to lead their children to Christ and to teach them how to follow Jesus, you would make my work a whole lot easier because I wouldn't have to be picking them up 10 years down the road when they're 25 and they're drunk and they're addicted and they're abused or they're beaten up. And then I got to, I tell people this all the time. I don't mind helping you clean up messes in your family. Just don't break things. Because I can't put things back together once you've broken. We can, we can put them together, but there's always going to be that crack. There's always going to be that seam. There's always going to be that glue spot that you put in there, that thumb print that's put in the glass jar. Maybe God's calling you to fight in the stream of your coworkers, your friends. 
Maybe it's not the mainstream. But it is a stream. Paul, John, Mark, Peter were given second chances to get involved. And I believe everyone in this room who didn't come to the first call to battle, who was afraid to get involved or because of pride was sent home, God's calling you right now to get involved in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to read this one more time and we're going to go out to some baptisms. Let me say this real quick before I do that. This, it may not be the mainstream. It may be the tributary. Let's just get this. Just read this with me. Judges chapter 7 verse 24. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Bera and also the Jordan. So the men of Ephraim were called. Called out. And they captured the waters as far as Beth Bera. Hold it. They captured the waters. They got victory. Couldn't you use a victory right now? Couldn't you use a victory today? Couldn't you? Am I the only one who needs a win? We just need a win today. It's not the main battle. It's a tributary. Couldn't you use a win in your marriage? Couldn't you use a win with your children? Couldn't you use a win at work? Couldn't you just use a win? And they captured two princes of Midian, Orb and Zeb. And they killed Orb at the rock of Orb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Wouldn't you love to get victory over the devil today? Wouldn't you love to get victory over the things he's been doing in your house? He's been trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. Your, your faith, your hope, your happiness. Wouldn't you like next Sunday, we could have an exciting Sunday. We could call it Orb and Zeb Head Sunday. <laughs> and you can just bring the heads of your enemies. Just bring him to the altar and just lay him down here and say, here we go. Heads rolling around everywhere. Welcome to new life. What an exciting day that would be. Wouldn't you like to just be able to come and say, I got victory over this, and I got victory over this, and I got victory over this. It wasn't the main victory, but it was a tributary, and God gave me power to get over this enemy. How many victories could we see? If we all get in the fight. God's calling you to victory, not to loss. It may not be the main victory. But I could take a win right now. I want to bring to Gideon the heads of my enemies. I want the world to know what Jesus Christ can do for us. If we just get involved, get some courage, get some humility, and surrender to his call today. Let's stand. When I was... Uh,
younger believer, they used to sing certain songs at the end of a service. And it became part, it became two things. One, it became part of my religion, which was dangerous. Because lots of things we can worship more than we can worship the truth. But sometimes these truths stayed with us. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See other portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling all sinners, come home. He's calling you today. Deborah, could you get, where'd you go? She's so pretty. Give me a pad in the background. He's calling you today. Father, you're calling us today. Softly and tenderly. You're not screaming at us. You're not making us feel guilty. You're not making us feel ashamed. You're just calling out to Ephraim. Those of us that can bear fruit in the midst of adversity. Hasn't been an easy year for a lot of us, Lord God. It's been a difficult year. But we can begin to bear some fruit. We can get some victories over our sin. We can get victory over Satan today if we would just surrender. Get involved where you're calling. Get some courage to replace our fear and humble ourselves and take whatever stream you call us to. Open our hearts up. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner. Come home. The altar is open right now. He's calling you. Come surrender it. What's he calling you to? Come surrender it. Maybe it's a tributary of your marriage. Come surrender it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Maybe it's the tributary of your children. Come on. Come surrender your children up to Jesus Christ right now. Maybe it's your coworkers. You've got a coworker that doesn't know Christ as your Savior. You've got a boss that's a jerk that needs Jesus.
Time now is fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Do you hear his voice today? Do you hear his voice today? Or are you going to keep being uninvolved? You're going to keep being afraid. You're going to keep being arrogant. for the wonderful love he has promised promised for you and for me though we have sinned he has mercy and pardon pardon for you and for me come home come home ye who are weary come home Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. He's calling out to you, new life. Those of you that have struggled, those of you that have not been perfect, Ephraim, he's calling for you. You might be here today and you say, well, I don't, I don't know what this is all about. I'll, I'll tell you what this is about. This is about your sin separating you from God. A God who loves you and loves you so much that he sacrificed his son on the cross to pay for those sins. And all you have to do is trust in what Jesus Christ did as, penalty, as payment for your sins, satisfying a righteous God by his sacrifice on the cross. You can have the forgiveness of sins. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home, calling, oh sinner, come home. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Who wants a victory today? Raise your hands. I want to pray for you. We need a victory today. Gracious Heavenly Father, 
let them see that you still want them. Let them see that though they, they didn't answer the first call, maybe the second call, maybe the third call, but this call, they're going to step in and offer themselves up to serve you. that today would be the day that they would get some victory over a tributary. Maybe just a small victory, but Father, we'll take small victories because 50 small victories adds up to one big victory. Father, we need your help. If there's one in the room that does not know Christ as their Savior, they need victory over sin. That's a big victory. Encourage them to come talk to us about what that means. But they're going to have to have some courage, Father, to not be ashamed, to not be afraid. They're going to have to have some humility, Lord God. because they're being invited to a salvation that they never imagined. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling calling all sinners, come home. God, I love you so much. If they would only realize it's worth the beatings and the shipwrecks and the struggles and the stress, if just one sinner comes home today, if just one comes to know you as Savior, if just one just returns back into the fold, if just one gets back involved in, in serving you, if they just humble themselves, get some courage. Father, I love this group. I believe you're speaking to them specifically, those who have attended today. calling them you're calling them to victory Father we love you just encourage our hearts at this time in Jesus we pray and all God's people said amen please don't leave yet we have three baptisms it's at the yacht club cross the road head towards the intersection do not go right take a little